0: Come and grab a seat, we'll get cracking. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been doing a series on what, uh, what might be called sort of vineyard distinctives. Vineyard distinctives. And this morning, I want us to look at the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, the subjects of the kingdom of God, which we've been singing about all morning, uh, actually is something that in this part of the body of Christ called the vineyard, it's, it's absolutely foundational to our understanding of who we are as a church. And to uh, those of you who are new here, you know, it may not be that familiar. Uh, to those of you who've been around for a while, it may be uh, very familiar, and it's, uh, hopefully this will be a bit of a refresher. But either way, the kingdom of God is absolutely vital to us all. You go to the opening verses of Mark's, gospel and one of the first things that we read is it says this it says after jesus uh, after john was put in prison jesus went into galilee proclaiming the good news of god the time has come he said the kingdom of god is near repent and believe the good news and then you kind of read through the gospels and then you get into acts and in acts chapter 28 we're talking about and we're reading about the apostle paul's ministry in acts chapter 28 it says this it says for two whole years uh, paul stayed there and he's talking about being in rome in his own uh, house and welcomed all who came to see him and it goes on it says this boldly and without hindrance he preached the kingdom of god and taught about the lord jesus christ and so when you read the new testament you see this these phrases in these places and in so many other places throughout the new testament that the message of jesus the message of paul is all kind of Contained in this familiar phrase, this expression, the kingdom of God. And so the message of the church today, right across the globe, needs to be the same. As, as a body, as a church, as the body of Christ, we need to be declaring, we need to be living out, we need to be demonstrating the message of the kingdom of God. And with the kingdom of God being uh, the message and indeed the incarnation, of jesus himself we would find ourselves in very good company as i said jesus first ever preaching was the time has come the kingdom of god is near the kingdom is at hand and if you've read the gospels at all you see jesus teaching and you 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 come across jesus preaching and his teaching and time and time and time again you see him communicating and teaching usually usually in parables And each one of those parables, they begin with something along the lines of, the kingdom is like, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like. It goes on and on and on. And then he teaches and he preaches. And then what happens is, alongside his teaching and preaching throughout his ministry, there are the signs and the wonders that accompany his teaching. And it's the signs and the wonders are the the tangible and visible evidence demonstration. If you like the breakthrough, what we've just been singing about, you know, let heaven come. Heaven breaking through into the here and now. And you read through certainly Matthew, Mark and Luke. And it's pretty hard to find a passage where Jesus isn't, in fact, talking about uh, the kingdom. And if Jesus is the subject, the central subjects of scripture. The message of Jesus is the kingdom of God. Then that message of the kingdom of God must be something that we as followers of Jesus, need to be focusing our time and energy and uh, attention on. And here in the vineyard, at least, this message of the kingdom of God, it has to be central to our understanding of of who it is that we're called to be, how it is that we're called to be, why it is that we're called to be. And that's as individuals, as the the body of Christ, as disciples of Jesus, as his church, as as a family of churches, as a movement of churches. Because when you look at what Jesus taught, one of the things that Jesus taught most about was um, the coming of the end of history. I mean, it's all pretty apocalyptic in actual facts. You know, he's technically what we describe it as is um, eschatology. It's, it's like the, the study, if you like, of the, of the end. That's what Jesus talked about a lot. What Jesus was saying was that, you know, in his arrival... In the incarnation of Christ and then through the events that happen around Pentecost, which we'll be celebrating in a few weeks' time. What Jesus is actually saying is that because of all of this that's happened, what this means is that the beginning of the end of the world is already being rolled out. You know, the end of the world, you know, was indeed nigh. And, And it was beginning, if you like, before the actual end of the world. And it's this idea, it's this idea of the breakthrough, it's this idea of the, the, the coming, the breakthrough of the rule and the reign of the kingdom of God. The coming of the kingdom of the future age, the, 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 of heaven coming on earth, the, the values and the ethos and the flavor and the reality of this age that is yet to come breaking through into our present age. It's of tomorrow's preferred future happening today. And that's what we describe as its inaugurated eschatology. It's what we mean when we talk about the kingdom of God. And it's that understanding of, of what here in the vineyard we call the now and the not yet of the kingdom. It's of Jesus not only announcing, but Jesus actually inaugurating the kingdom of God that is to be the message of this church. And the, the question that we're to be asking ourselves is, if indeed that's the case, if that's what Jesus is talking on going on about, if that's what it's all about, what should we as followers of Jesus, what should we as a church be doing about it? You know, because if it's true that the coming of Jesus is the ultimate demonstration, if you like, of this enacted, inaugurated eschatology. If it's true that the, the coming of Jesus was indeed like the ultimate demonstration, the ultimate expression, the ultimate embodiment of the breakthrough of the rule and the reign of the kingdom of God coming into, from the future age, coming into our present age. Then, if that's true, then it should make sense. It should, it should follow that what we now see as our model for ministry. You know, the way that we do Sundays, the way that we minister to the poor, the way that we pray for the sick, the way that we plant churches, the way that we do missions. As well as the way that we do our marriages and the way that we bring up our kids and what we do with our money and what we do in our workplaces and, 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 and. It makes sense that it should all be directly uh, informed and impacted by the model and the message and the ministry of Jesus. This, this thing of the kingdom of God. It should be making a difference to our here and now. And so. Our model of ministry in the vineyard is is based upon enacted, inaugurated eschatology, and and all that all that literally means what that actually means is that um, the stuff that we read in here, you know, we we go off into our prayer closets and our quiet times and we read the stuff in here, and then what we do is we go, okay, I've read it in here, now I need to find a way to go and do it. So we read about it here, and then we go. And find ways to do it, to demonstrate it, to teach it. And so we read about Jesus healing the sick. And then we read about how Jesus got the disciples to heal the sick. And so we go and work out how we are to heal the sick. And so we read about Jesus casting out demons. And then we see how Jesus taught and trained the disciples to cast out demons. And we read about that and we go, okay. I guess I ought to find out how to cast out demons. And we go... And do the same. As Jesus proclaimed good news to the poor. As Jesus proclaimed freedom for the prisoners. Jesus, as Jesus recovered the sight of the blind. As Jesus set the oppressed free. As Jesus proclaimed the year of the Lord's flave, favor. Which is what he set out to do in uh, Luke chapter 4. Guess what? You got it. We too are to find ways to proclaim good news to the poor to proclaim freedom for the prisoners to recover the sight of the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the lord's favor whatever it meant for jesus to announce the end of one age and the beginning of the next age as being rolled out is what we should be doing we should be doing the same and as such in the vineyard we've based our entire theology and practice on this approach whether that's uh, through the way that we do ministry to the poor, um, through to Alpha, through to things like Job Club and Food Bank, and uh, the way that we do prophecy and the reason that we do words of knowledge to casting out demons and healing the sick and this kind of thing, gathering together on a Sunday morning, to the way that we do worship, to the way that we look at the scriptures, through to small acts of kindness that all of us are doing day in, day out, wherever it is we find ourselves. We are all called as follows of Jesus, to embody, to be the enacted inauguration of the kingdom. Or, as Kate said it just before the service, we're called to be Jesus' hands and feet. We're called to be Jesus' hands and feet. And um, I think it would be sad, indeed, if the vineyard lost this special gift. I think it would be sad, indeed, if we lost our focus and our understanding of what God has called us to in terms of the the importance and centrality of the the kingdom of God. And and when I say that, I'm not, you know, as you know, I'm not saying that we're anything big in the scheme of things. Um, We've often said when it comes to the worldwide church, we're just, uh, you know, one tiny flavor in the pot. But there's something about our understanding and our theology around the kingdom of God that is central to our identity of who we are here in the vineyard. And it's a central ingredient to our flavor. And if we lose that bit of uh, flavor, um, the stew, the, the, the pot, is, is doesn't taste quite so good. At the end of the world, doesn't taste quite so good. And I think the risk for us as a church, as a movement, if we lose our focus on the theology of the kingdom, is that um, we'll probably revert back to a one of two defaults. We'll either either become um, a sort of a traditional, conservative, evangelical church that isn't really into the power of, you know, um, the coming of the kingdom of God in power. Doesn't really kind of believe in the coming of the kingdom of God in power. Or, we kind of say again that way, we'll go that way, uh, which is towards a more uh, classic Pentecostal theology uh, that believes in the coming of the spirit of god in power but it believes in it through just a completely different theological framework that's the risk for us unless we kind of hold this tension somewhere here we're likely to revert to one uh, or the other and as the sense that this is one of the distinctives of the vineyards um, something that we need to kind of grapple with it something we need to wrestle with it something we need to hold on to Uh, particularly at the moment in the church culture and the church climate, there's all kinds of different theologies and different things pulling us in all sorts of different directions. Okay, all good so far? Okay, so when Jesus began his ministry, he came announcing that the time was fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Brilliant. Now, Jesus never explains that phrase. When you look at it, he doesn't ever explain it. And the reason for that was because he didn't actually need to. You know, no Jew, no self-respecting Jew at the time would have sat around scratching his head and saying, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, what's he on about? What's this bloke talking about? You know, what's, this, what's that supposed to mean? I haven't got a clue. Um, when Jesus said, the time is fulfilled, it's here. Everyone who was listening, everyone who heard him speak, they knew exactly what it meant. They all knew what it was. The trouble is, for us today, it's not it isn't quite as obvious as it was then. Um, and so, for us, who may not know what it is, uh, we've got to do a little bit of work and we've got to, we've got to try and grasp the understanding that the Jewish hope had at the time. We'd need to try and reconstruct what was going on. And, and, um, and the way to do that is to kind of have a look at uh, some of the Old Testament build-up. Uh, because the Old Testament kind of starts to uh, give us indications and pointers and signposts and indications. Uh, of what's to come. And the Old Testament is kind of built up. It's, it's, it's presented as, like, to us through ever expanding pictures. Or visions. Or revelations. Or windows if you like. Into the uh, coming kingdom. And that's one of the reasons that the understanding of the Old Testament is so incredibly important. Don't just ditch the Old Testament. Some of it's hard. And some of it's difficult. And some of it's challenging. But don't just ditch it. Grapple with it. Wrestle with it. Find out about it. Try and understand it. Try and come to grips with it. Don't just bin it. Um, it. The way I kind of think about it is a bit like you know, on "Have I Got News to You." You know, that, "Have I Got News for You?" You know that round uh, where um, uh, they zoom in on some some politician who's been in the news lately for doing something they probably shouldn't have done. You know, and it all spins around and it's a kind of like a close up, and then it sort of pans out, and, and you're supposed to buzz in when you've kind of guessed what it is. The Old Testament's a little bit like that. It's pointing towards things that may not necessarily be entirely clear, but they become clearer the more you read, and they become clearer as you read them through the lenses of the New Testament. Um, and a couple of key themes uh, of this buildup that we get to see unfolding throughout the Old Testament is that with the kingdom, what God is doing is, as God is bringing his kingdom, as God is bringing his kingdom rule and reign, God is, is coming to bring about an age of blessing uh, through peace. That's one of the things that God is, that's what the kingdom is about. It's about an age of blessing that comes about through peace. And coupled with that, what God is doing is he's creating for himself a people who will live distinctive lifestyles wholly for the Lord through promise. Okay, so let's have a look at this. What are we talking about when we when we say the kingdom of God? What is it that millions of Christians pray for every single week when we say the Lord's prayer, when we sing the Lord's prayer, like we have just done? When we say, "Thy kingdom come," you know, "Thy will be done on earth as it, uh, on earth as it is in heaven." What was it? What would it look like if God's kingdom actually broke through? If God's kingdom actually came in answer to our prayers? What would it look like if God's will were done on earth as it? were and as it is in heaven what does it look like when our god and our king becomes actively dynamically present intervening into our present into our history and bringing his rule and his reign well as we said the first thing that happens is that god brings about an age of blessing through peace god's blessing comes when god's kingdom comes God's blessing comes and as you look at through the um, you look through the old testament one of the ways that we see a kind of a foretaste of this a, a, a picture of this is through the davidic uh, monarchy and um david is chosen as is uh, chosen to be king uh, despite his external appearance he becomes the new king and and what we see here is we see that god is starting to indicate that he's he's sort of wanting to bring his kingdom in a slightly different way he's wanting to bring it with an add-on dimension if you like um so not only is god going to intervene through sort of um, divine intervention and, and miraculous power but actually he's also going to bring about his kingdom the intention is to bring about his kingdom through a representative through one of his representatives who's going to be like an earthly counterpart of god's heavenly rulership and um And and what's supposed to happen through this, and sometimes it works better than others, uh, as we all know, but what's supposed to happen through this model is that a dynasty of kings is supposed to be established um, who are called to be the earthly manifestation of the kingdom of God. And through some, at least, of these kings, we see that blessing of the rule and the reign of the kingdom of God coming. And what this means is that in as much as David ruled, God was ruling. And uh, therefore, what was intended to come down on God's people through David's rule and through David's reign was justice and righteousness and peace. And what actually happened in Israel was uh, Israel entered with David coming onto the throne a, a kind of period of um, uh, like golden age, if you like, for sort of two generations but over the reign of David and then over the reign of uh, Solomon. And it was like God's a flavor and a taste, a foretaste. Just a shadow of the fullness of God's kingdom was beginning to be shown and demonstrated um, in the rule and the reign of these kings that would be, reach the fulfillment when God comes uh, in the future. And David was much of David's rule. He was off fighting battles, both military and spiritual. So it's really only in Solomon's reign that we get to see some of the, the real kind of flavor of, of the picture of what this might look like. So, what does it look like? He got a Bible. Uh, Have a look at 1 Kings chapter 4. 1 Kings chapter 4, apologies for the um, green screen behind me. Um, We have technical issues with the projectors moving into a new school. It's uh, teething problems. Uh, Patience would be marvelous. And um, we'll try and get it sorted out. So 1 Kings chapter 4, you get to see a bit of a sketch, if you like, of life in the kingdom of god under solomon in this golden age it's just to kind of give us a bit of an an idea of what the kingdom of good looks like kingdom of god looks like so um let's start in verse 20 the people of judah and israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore they ate they drank and they were happy and solomon ruled over the kingdoms from the river all of the kingdoms from the river to the land of the philistines as far as the border of egypt These countries brought tribute and were Solomon's subjects all his life. Solomon's daily provisions were 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 head of store-fed cattle, 20 of pasture-fed cattle, and 100 sheep and goats, as well as deer, gazelles, roebucks, and choice fowl. For he ruled over all the kingdoms west of the river, from hardware to Gaza, and had peace on all sides. During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, lived in safety, each man under his own vine and fig tree. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for chariot horses, 12,000 horses. The district's officers each in his month supplied provisions for King Solomon, all who came to the the king's table. They saw to it that nothing was lacking. They also brought to the proper place the quotas of barley and straw for the chariot horses and the other horses. See, when the kingdom of God comes, this is a foretaste, this is a reflection, a shadow of what it is intended to look like. You see in verse 20, the people of God, see how they multiply? See when the kingdom of God comes, like revival comes, multiplication comes, um, uh, growth comes. Uh, verse 20, they ate, they drank, and they, they were happy. There's this uh, real sense of party. This is like this crazy, crazy party going on all the time. There's, this, there's all of these... Um, sheep and these guinea fowls and these gazelles and all these things they're all kind of there they're, this is like a daily, on a daily basis this is like they're living at large it's this magnificence of his court the living and the blessing of the kingdom of God in verse 24 it says uh, during Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel from Dan to sheep, they lived in safety each man under his own Vine and fig tree. They had peace on all sides. And so you've got this image of the reflected kingdom of God. This golden age, if you like, of peace and a blessing of abundance. And there's one word that um, summarizes all the blessing of the kingdom that we find here in, in um, 1 Kings chapter 4. And it's this Hebrew word, shalom. And, and shalom, uh, which kind of embodies, if you like, the kingdom. It means far more than just uh, peace or the absence of war. Shalom is about total well-being in every aspect of your life. Total well-being in every aspect of your life. Your health, your finances, your marriages, your kids, and your relationship with your extended family, with your neighbors in one Kings, with your flock and your work and your fields and your crops and your herds and your vines. There's a sense of abundance and blessing uh, that comes with it. This is what the kingdom is to look like when it comes in all its fullness. This is the fullness of heaven coming on earth. This is the future age breaking through into the here and now. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what heaven looks like. That in all of its fullness and all of its glory and all of its abundance. And shalom means... A blessing it means blessing in, in in all of our relationships, but it also means blessing in our relationship with God and so it touches our worship. the kingdom coming touches our worship kingdom the kingdom coming touches our prayer life the kingdom coming touches our sense of intimacy with the Lord the kingdom coming touches our ability to hear the to hear the Lord. the kingdom breaking through it it touches our past through forgiveness it t- touches our present. Through the provision of like spiritual power, it, 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 it touches our future by giving us hope. This thing of shalom, shalom is the kingdom. Uh, someone once described shalom as, um, I think it was Rich Nathan, I think described shalom as, you know, well-being in every area of our lives. I think he said it's like having a, a nice plump wife uh, seven or eight or ten strapping sons, uh, half a dozen or so beautiful daughters, and you're all sat around this table laden with food, you know, eating, laughing, and enjoying life, and living life to the full. That's how he described the kingdom, this shalom. And this this shalom, this coming of the kingdom, it doesn't only f- affect somebody financially or, or physically, uh, it doesn't only affect them relationally or spiritually, um, but even it even changes the way that we think. Become transformed by the renewal of our minds. Our minds become renewed as the kingdom of God breaks through. And you look at verse thirty-nine. This thing about uh, verse twenty-nine. God has given Solomon this incredible wisdom and insight. And so he's you know writing proverbs all over the place and. You look at the book of Proverbs and it's just full of practical, wise counsel as to how to do life well. How to kind of think about things. You know, and, and so many of us we're, and so many of the people that we know, we're, we're trying to do life the best that we possibly can and, and it's like hard. And so we're struggling on how do we bring up our kids and, and we're, we're, we're struggling with wrestling and grappling with the issue and the problem of poverty we're struggling and we're grappling with and wrestling with how do we have decent marriages and that we're struggling with them. We're grappling with the issue of how do I deal with being single? You know, and if we go around, if we ask people, you know, what's your philosophy on life? When we go around and we talk to people about, you know, like, what do you, what do you, what is it that guides you? What do you, where do you get your sort of benchmark from? What's what 's the basis of your decisions? How is it that you work out whether, what you teach your kids about what 's right and wrong? You know How do you establish your values? like Have you ever thought about your values and what you value and what you think is important to you and And the reality is lots of people just haven 't got a clue go, oh, i don't know, i don 't and that 's why we run sort of some of the groups that we run that you know you 'll see in the small group brochure. Um, and the groups that we've run in the past, things like Peter and Jenny and, um, and Howard and Steph run in the Finding Your Ideal Purpose group. It's to help people think about what do they value and, and, and what are they called to and what are they made for and what are they wired? How have they been wired? It's, it's why, you know, Camilla and Sarah run um, What Pram. It's to help people who are expecting, think about what's life going to be like once we've had this baby. It's why Mania Sinead and different people have run parenting courses over the years. It's why we're running marriage courses. and We've run marriage courses over the years. We're, running, uh, we're starting marriage courses again in the autumn. Uh, and it's, it's, it's all done so that we can try to um, bring the kingdom practically and philosophically, sharing our ignorance and sharing our wisdom and our knowledge and our understanding of the kingdom of God into the lives of people around us who are kind of just scratching their heads saying, I oh, do no, my marriage is a nightmare, my kids are a nightmare, I don't know how to do this. It's like, well, we're not entirely sure either, but can we point you at least in maybe the right direction? Can we share our ignorance with you? Because the kingdom of God means guidance for life. So the kingdom of God, in other words, isn't just spiritual phenomenon. It's, it means the rule and the reign of God. It's the rule and the reign of the king of kings and the lord of lords. Not just in the spiritual dimension, but in every single aspect of our lives Our individual life, our corporate life, our spiritual life, our material life, every single aspect of our lives. The intention, God's desire is that the rule and the reign of the future age breaks through until we see it in its fulfillment in eternity. That's the life of the kingdom. It's, the, it's that kingdom rule and reign that we are to call out to God for to bring into the here and now we are asking the Lord, will you in your goodness and your grace and your mercy, will you bring some of this future age into the present? How does it come about? Well, uh, it comes about through the creation of a people who will live a distinctive lifestyle, holy for God. Um, it comes about as every single one of us surrenders our lives to King Jesus. The the um, the kingdoms is no longer um, God's representative on earth, and no longer just monarchs. We have become as priests, as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation, as a people, a chosen people, belonging to God. We have become. God's representatives, the representatives of God's kingdom here on earth. And so as every single one of us, every single follower of Jesus, as we surrender our lives to King Jesus, as every single one of us seek the rule and the reign of the King of kings and the Lord of lords in every single aspect of an area of our lives, as every single one of us consecrates ourselves before the Lord, as we looked at a few weeks ago, when we consecrate ourselves before the lord as we devote ourselves as we irrevocably give ourselves over to the lord surrendering and submitting ourselves and our agendas and everything else to the lord he will do amazing things among us in um, in one, cat, 1 kings chapter 10 the, the queen of sheba comes to visit the uh, solomon and uh, when the queen of sheba comes to visit solomon what you've got if you like um I think what you've got here is you've got a picture of the unchurched coming to the church, not just the, not the physical building. I mean, the unchurched coming to the body of Christ, yeah, um, and encountering the church in action when God is present here's the queen Sheba, she's this pagan ruler and she is coming to god's ruler when god's power and his kingdom is present through that ruler and what she sees is this distinctive lifestyle this this, this, this evident and made manifest in and through this people who are totally submitted and surrendered to the lord and um the reason for that is because when the kingdom of god is demonstrated through his people through shalom yeah the world everyone else gets to hear about it everyone gets to hear about it Uh, people begin to hear about what god is doing and 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 people are fascinated because they start to go all those people their marriages they, they all seem to work like i was at the school gate the other day and everyone else i know seems their marriages are falling apart but that lot over there they seem to be doing all right or, you know, they, 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 I, none, of, none of my friends know how to bring up our kids. It's like a nightmare. But there's that funny group. I mean, I don't know really much about them. But they, their kids seem to be pretty normal and healthy and pretty decent. And, hmm. Let's go and check them out. So people hear what's God doing and people want to come and see what that looks like. And then what they see, uh, they want to taste. And what they taste, they get. Let's have a quick look, very quick look at 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10 says this, When the Queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his, re- and his relation to the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. You see, it's when we're connected with the name of the Lord, that's when we shine. It's got nothing to do with us, nothing about us, it's nothing about our ability or our education experience or anything like that. It's when we're connected with the name of the Lord, then suddenly we look amazing. Solomon had fame because of his connection with the name of the Lord. In verse three, it says, "This Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her." When the Queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he built, the food on his table, the seating of officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers, and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She was overwhelmed. She was so overwhelmed with what she saw, with what she experienced, with what she heard. She'd come in and she tasted and seen that the Lord was good and she literally kind of collapsed, fainted kind of thing in response. To what it looks like when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is actively intervening and breaking through into the present. She was overwhelmed and her response to this lavish demonstration of the kingdom, the glory of the kingdom. This is this in verse six she said to the king, "The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I did not believe these things until I came and saw them with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you've far exceeded the report I heard. How, ha- how happy your men must be, How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. And then she says this in verse nine: "Praise be." To the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's because of the Lord's because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness praise be to the Lord your God you see the, the response from the Queen of Sheba the response from any one of us when we taste and see the, the kingdom breaking through, is worship. It's it's worship. Praise be to the Lord, our God. And this is what we've been called to. This is our inheritance. This we are a kingdom people. We are to be a kingdom people, having surrendered our lives to the King, living lives consecrated to the King of Kings. We are called to live in the fullness of the kingdom of God. And as we do so, and we, we try and work out what that looks like in our homes and our families and our marriages and our workplaces and our churches. As we heal the sick, as we, as we preach, as we go about life, as we preach and embody the gospel, as we, we, we open the eyes of the blind, both literally and metaphorically, as we, we set prisoners free, as we proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. what's supposed to happen is we're to let that rule and reign of the kingdom that we kind of borrow from the future age and, and ask God in his goodness and his grace to bring token signs of it into the here and now. We're to let that rule and reign of the kingdom come to the lives of those around us so that like the Queen of Sheba, they too might encounter the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's our hope, our hope and our prayer and our longing and our desire is that others too might get to experience the abundance of life that Kate was talking about. Others too might get to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. They, They might too experience the coming of the kingdom as they surrender their lives to the king and as they begin to walk in the fullness of his shalom. Does that make any sense? Good. Right. Why don't you why don't you stand?